Tonight I'll be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, for the preaching of God's Word. And I'll be reading from verse 10 down to verse number 13. Matthew, chapter 9, and verse number 10. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. Father, thank you once again for your precious word. I ask tonight that you would use it in a special way to speak to each and every heart and that you would guide us into your will for our lives. Thank you for being a great father. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. And I pray that your word would find a lodging place in each and every heart. Give me the words you have me to say. And if there's someone in the sound of my voice who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, may tonight be the night of their salvation, that every believer would be challenged and strengthened to be closer drawn to you. Take full control, have your divine way, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for how you will use it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Weddings are one of the most looked forward to, if you will, events on a calendar. They often involve the most detailed and stressful planning because of the significance of the event, but also because of the limited resources available to get the best results. And so most oftentimes, the budget becomes a focal point of the planning as the cost of these events mounts. Given these realities, ironically, as an an event that is meant to be enjoyed by as many people as possible is restricted in the number of people who can attend because of limited resources and limited space. So in the end, even though you have a wedding that is to be enjoyed and to be celebrated and to be shared with family and friends and loved ones and well-wishers, the guest list becomes a point of focus, a point of consideration. And the individuals who are about to be married have some very difficult decisions to make. How many relatives are going to come from your side of the family? How many relatives are going to come from my side of the family? How many friends? How could this person not get an invitation? Why are they on the list? Simple reality is that everyone cannot be invited or allowed to come. This reality applies not only for weddings, but practically to 
any event or facility. You're going to a stadium or venue. No matter how large, they all have capacities. A point at which they will be filled or sold out. That prevents or precludes any other person from attending or entering. But I'm glad tonight that my friend, when it comes to the gift of salvation, all are welcome. Amen? And there is always room for more. Jesus Christ came to this earth with an invitation to every person. Whosoever. There is no restriction, no limitation. And as such, when Jesus walked this earth, he ministered to people. He didn't eliminate anyone from his scope of ministry. His message was delivered and intended for all. He didn't stereotype groups of people, whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whether they were Gentile, whether they were Jew. Every person was simply a candidate for the gospel. And as we engage in ministry as his ambassadors, my friends, we must have the same mindset that Jesus had. How often do we size up people who we think will receive the gospel, who we think will be a good candidate for salvation and that limits who we share it with that limits where we go to share the gospel message tonight i want to preach a message entitled interact with anyone interact with anyone we're looking at jesus ministry here on earth and we're endeavoring to glean what can we implement? What should we do that patterns what Jesus did? And I say to each and every one of us, and I'm speaking to myself as well, when it comes to being an ambassador for Christ, let us endeavor to be willing to interact and to share the gospel with any person because that's exactly what Jesus did. To interact with anyone. We see this philosophy in the text in which we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verses 10 to 13. And I want you to notice, first of all, in these verses, very quickly tonight, that Jesus fellowshiped with castaways. He fellowshiped with castaways. Jot that down. And look at verse number 10, as this is seen so very clearly here. He says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans... And sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus, my friend, interacted with anyone, including those who others would choose to overlook. Imagine you had publicans and sinners who would feel comfortable enough to just come and sit with him. Understand that publicans were probably one of the most hated Groups of people because of their job, because of their reputation. They would be the ones who have the very difficult task 
strategically given by the Roman government to tax the people. And they chose Jews themselves to tax their own people on behalf of the government. And they would do so and overtax the people and take the remainder for themselves. And as such, they were hated. And imagine, Jesus reached out to them. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came down to where they were. And the fact that they came to Jesus and sat down with him, it tells me that Jesus reached out to them. A most hated group. My friend, when it comes to this matter of ministry and sharing the gospel, don't be too high or lifted up in your own spirituality to be unwilling or unable to minister to people, to all people. This, my friends, requires humility. It requires us, even those who have been born again, to not forget where we came from, spiritually speaking. We were all dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus welcoming. They felt comfortable enough to come and sit. And not just come and sit, but look at this. Come and sit and eat with him. You know, you, you, do you recognize that eating is a great thing to do to fellowship with people? There's something about sitting and eating with another person. It, it communicates a message that I want to get to know who you are. I want you to get a chance to know who I am. All throughout the gospel, you notice that Jesus ate with people. Believers broke bread together. That is why at Charlotte Baptist Church, we encourage fellowship. And often that fellowship happens around food. And I'll share this with you. It's not an accident that when we have food, we try to set it up in an environment where you can fellowship. I'm not meaning to embarrass anyone, but when the time comes for fellowship and food, don't be so quick to grab a container and go. It's intended to fellowship. Don't just grab a container, or maybe I should say containers, because sometimes it look like people engage in the plural when it comes to that. Three and four and five and six and go. It defeats the purpose of fellowship. It's a time to interact with people. To share your life with another person. But Jesus fellowshiped with castaways. But notice secondly, as he did this, and notice this, he faced criticism for doing so. Look at verse number 11. And when Jesus, or when the Pharisees rather saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Do you notice that when it comes to doing whatever God calls you to do, you will always face criticism. 
I mean, it amazes me that people find fault when there's nothing to find fault with. But it should strengthen every person that no matter what you do, people will find something to talk about. That's not unusual, nor should it be unexpected. The story is told of a conscientious wife who tried hard to please her critical husband, but failed miserably. Failed regularly. He was the most cantankerous person at breakfast. If she prepared scrambled eggs, he wanted boiled. If he prepared boiled eggs, she wanted prepared boiled eggs, she wanted scrambled. So one morning, the wife boiled one and scrambled the other and placed them on a plate before him. Anxiously, she waited what surely this time would be his unqualified approval. He peered down at the plate and snorted, Can't you do anything right, woman? You scrambled the wrong one. Listen, there's sometimes no matter what you do, you will face criticism. But here's what we must endeavor. As you are being criticized, jot this down. Point number three. Be foundational in your convictions. Look at verse number 22, 12 rather. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are what? Sick. Jesus responded to the criticism, recognizing that what he was doing was based on a solid principle. When it comes to criticism, you will be criticized whether you do right whether you do wrong, you'll be criticized regardless. So you might as well go ahead and do right. So make sure that when you are criticized, that it is based on principled positions. Make sure that what you're doing is based on a conviction that has a biblical foundation. Here's what Jesus was saying to them. You're criticizing me for hanging out with sinners and publicans and who you would consider the castaways of society. But Jesus was saying to them, I'm a doctor. I'm a physician. And as such, I have a responsibility to interact with sick people. That, my friend, is logical. That makes good sense. That's what doctors do. And he communicated to them that's what he was about. He wasn't just hanging out for hanging out's sake. He was with these people to make a difference in their lives. He was with them to influence them to change. And my friend, when it comes to interacting with people who are lost, that is where the line is drawn for determining where you go and what you do. Are you making a change? Or are you being changed by the situation? Are you making a change in that person's life? Are you going in an environment where that it might seem like it's questionable? My question is to you, are you making a difference in that environment? Or that environment, is it making a difference in you? 
Are you being influenced or are you influencing? Jesus was not being like them in order to change them. He was being different so that they could change. So Jesus was foundational in his conviction. But notice verse number 13. He, Jesus goes a little further in response to their criticism. And he gives them in verse 13, first part of that verse, what I call a fitting challenge. He says to them, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. You're trying to correct me. But here's what. You need to learn what ought to be done so that you could get involved in what I'm doing. They were just criticizing for criticizing's sake. A critic is someone who points out how imperfectly other people do what the critic does not do at all. You know what? That's one of the most annoying things about criticism. Sometimes it's not that you are above criticism. But it's just that sometimes, maybe it's from a human perspective, you are irked because you're being criticized by people who do absolutely nothing. And Jesus was saying to them, listen, your criticism has no basis. If you understood the fallacy of your criticism, you wouldn't say what you just said. But rather, you will be involved in helping to do what I am doing. Let me say this, with all due respect. Pew warmers don't qualify to criticize. No. And here's what happens when a person gets involved. You can then learn some things. And guess what's happening? What's going to happen? When you learn some things and you understand some things, it's going to actually cause you to be less critical because you're going to realize... Hey, this thing is not as easy as it looks. And what would happen, that person would then offer suggestions. That person would be more crit less critical and more sympathetic in understanding and in supporting the endeavor. Jesus offered a fitting challenge to them. But notice while he challenged them, he was still firm in his commitment. Number five, he says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He was saying to them, I'm going to show compassion. I'm not here to provide a, a bunch of do's and don'ts. He says, my commitment is to look beyond the fault and to see the need. And here's what I'm I'm learning and what we can learn from Jesus and learn from experience is that when you meet the need, the faults begin to take care of themselves. Jesus was saying to them, I'm going to go for mercy. I'm going to grant grace. And the truth is we all need to offer and extend mercy and grace because we all needed it. For salvation and we will continue to need it do you realize that when we pray and if you engage in a consistent prayer life 
no matter how many times a day you pray, do you find that you're consistently asking God for mercy and grace? God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I'm sorry for falling short. And God continually offers mercy and grace. And Jesus was letting them know, irrespective of your criticism, you are not going to change my agenda. He was firm in his commitment. But notice finally, in verse 13, he was still focused on the cause. He says, let me sum this up so that you can understand what I'm about. He says, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was saying to them, listen, I left the portals of glory. And I came to this earth not to get a bunch of righteous followers. But I came to see sinners turn from their sin and turn to me. This ought to be our mindset as we interact with people. And if we approach ministry with the mindset, doesn't matter how evil, doesn't matter how wicked, doesn't matter how bad a person appears to be, that's a soul for which Christ died. That's a person for whom he came. And my endeavor by way of ministry ought to be uh, prayerfully that God will touch that person's heart, that they would repent of that sin and to turn to the Savior. With that mindset, no one is excluded. So a person being a sinner cannot be a turnoff for the gospel message. When we have that mentality, we'll place a value on all people. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter where they've been. That individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, is a candidate for the gospel. And as such, we, in ministering, must be willing to interact with anyone. Why? We are carrying the message of the gospel that they need to have. And I trust that as we go about our daily lives and we go about our daily tasks, Invariably, we're going to interact with people. Whenever you see a person, think, what could happen in their life? What could happen in their home? What could happen in generations to come that are in that person's loins if that person would receive the gospel message? We can make a difference. All the things that we are concerned about with the direction of society can be turned around 
when God gets a hold of that heart. So let's be willing to interact with any person who's willing to listen to this great message of salvation that God has privileged us to experience. I say to us, as we're involved in ministry, from day to day and week to week, month to month, let's be willing to interact with anyone.